0: Good afternoon. If you have a copy of God's Word handy, you can be turning to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, and we'll begin there in just a moment. We are thankful for the sunlight. Uh, Miss Eloise and I were talking just a moment ago before service that it was 23 last Sunday, and now the sunlight's out. I appreciate Charles leading that, though some of you may have gotten caught up. Gabe... Was trying to cause division between services as well. He sat out front and was suggesting everybody came in. We all just have services outside, uh, which I'm not totally against. He he said since I was going for the child's class this morning with the flannel graph up here, and we all just go outside and have class too, like kids get to sometimes. But uh, not not a bad idea maybe. But we'll uh, we'll work through our lesson here this afternoon, and then uh, hopefully get to enjoy the rest of our day and your day. And uh, we appreciate. Uh, so much for being here this afternoon we have been working now since pretty much the time that we started here in the summer of 2018 uh, through a one one word study uh, i actually tried to visit that website i need to take the slide down but i actually tried to visit that website just a minute ago and realized it's no longer in working order uh, i don't think you can visit that site although you may still be able to buy these books but it was originally uh, put out by dale jenkins and his son philip uh, i think david shannon who's now the president of free hardiman may have been involved uh, as well as several others Andrew Phillips who's a minister in the middle Tennessee area uh, but it's meant to be a, a weekly study a congregation could buy a book for every family and you could work through it in 52 weeks in a year uh, but we have been taking it just one word a month kind of spacing it out and just looking at different things this is another week another month where I did not plan it in advance but it's going to work out pretty good because our word is going to connect with our lesson from this morning what we have been looking at for last month and then this month and then you can see the coming three months is the words that are involved with the theme of his word. Uh, We talked about our role and our salvation. Now we're going to talk about his word. Last month we looked at the word inspiration and what that word means and how it's used and this afternoon we're going to talk about covenant and we talked about covenants and promises this morning so it can end up connecting pretty well and then we're going to come back God be willing, the next three months and look at truth and prophecy and the word gospel. But as we said, uh, we are up to week 36 in the study, but been the month, monthly study for us. Uh, But the idea of this word covenant and how it's used in the Bible. Before we get to the Bible, though, let's talk for just a moment about the Latin use of the word. Our English word for covenant comes from two Latin words, convenire, that mean to come together. Now, that's not new to you. If you know what a covenant is, then you know that two people, or maybe even more in a sense, are coming together. The word assumes that two parties come together to make an agreement. It may involve promises. It may involve stipulations. It may involve privileges and responsibilities. But this is how we get our word for covenant, which does mean to come together together. And I want you to begin even right now because we're going to emphasize what the Bible says about covenant. Absolutely. But begin to see how it plays into our regular lives, because I'd like to come back at the end and finish with some application about how we use, not just use the word covenant, but practice covenants in our lives. If we move to the Bible, then we think about the Old Testament. First of all, there is an Old Testament word. It's pronounced bay That is the Hebrew word in the Old Testament that is used some 280 times. Now we're going to go through a list in just a moment. But as we touched on this morning, you just think about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob alone. And you begin to see the idea of over and over again this mentioning of a covenant. Now, I ask you to turn to Genesis chapter 15 in verses 5 through 23, where God makes a covenant with Abram. Now, this is going to be before he has his name changed to Abraham, but God makes a covenant with Abram. The phrase that is translated, this bay this phrase that's translated is actually literally to cut, to cut a covenant. Or to make a covenant. And we see that borne out here in Genesis chapter 15 where if you look specifically down about verse number, uh, verse number 8, verse number 9. That God makes a covenant with Abram and he instructs him to cut a heifer and a ram, a turtle dove and a pigeon. And as you look there in verse number 9 and following, verse 10 says that he's to cut them in two. So this word makes sense when we think about the idea of cutting a covenant. During the night, in this occasion, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the pieces, if you remember what takes place here. And this act may have been a symbolic way of saying, may this happen to me if I do not keep my part of the covenant. Now, in the ancient Near East, as we think about history and that kind of thing, in the ancient Near East, uh, a covenant is handed down by a sovereign to his subjects. The sovereign promises to protect his subjects if they keep their part of the covenant. And the laws in the Old Testament, they're they're very much Israel's part of the covenant. God says time and again, you are obedient, you do what I say, and I will guide you and protect you. As we mentioned countless times, that does not mean perfectly that nothing bad would ever happen. But we see trials and tribulations come upon God's people and Israel as a whole time and time again when they do not keep their part of the covenant. Even as we've emphasized Ezra and Nehemiah in getting ready for lads to leaders the last few months, we've talked about the idea that the people would not hold up their end of the covenant. Whether it be marrying the pagan people or whatever, worshipping idols, altars, all these things... They're not doing their part, and so God then allows them to go through some suffering. But I like that idea and from Genesis chapter 15, again, literally to cut a covenant as Abraham does there. All right, moving forward then to the New Testament, the Greek word that's used in the Septuagint, and of course you know the Septuagint is the uh, Greek translation, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, but in the uh New Testament in the Greek word that's used is diatheke, and that is used 33 times. And really, when you look at your New Testament, your English New Testament, you may see covenant, or you may see the word used testament. And it appears about 33 times, and the author of Hebrews is one that uses it the most. Hebrews uh, in chapter 9, we'll get there in a moment, but it's kind of the most concentrated area where this word is used, and it transitions from covenant to covenant. There in Hebrews chapter 9 2, testament or will. It is likely that the use of the word in Hebrews is what led us to call our divisions the Old Testament and the New Testament. You ever wonder where that came from? Don't know for sure maybe, but it's likely that this word diotheke is the word that was used as it was mentioned and translated in the New Testament as Old Testament and New Testament instead of Old Covenant, New Covenant. Not necessarily wrong either way, but can you imagine if that's what we called it? It would make sense based on the translation of the word. So when we think about uh, this idea of covenants, it's all throughout the, the Bible. It's highlighted a lot in the Old Testament, but certainly in the New Testament as well. What I'd like for us to do is go through several examples. I didn't have room in the bulletin if you're filling out an outline in the bulletin. I didn't have room for all of these, but you can begin to see some of them and you can make a list if you would like. But we know from Genesis chapter 9 that God first makes a covenant with Noah. Now, I was using, of course, the, the book here and some of the, the ideas that are put forth there. But we could go a lot deeper, right? We could go all the way back to Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 where God makes a covenant, in essence, with Adam and Eve, right? With Adam. He tells him what to do and this is what you need to obey. Adam and Eve are disobedient and so that covenant is broken and there is a change, of course, in the world. But we do move forward and we begin to think for our purposes this afternoon, first of all, about Noah, right? The covenant that God makes with Noah in Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 through 17. It's such a beautiful one because while we understand the covenants that he makes with others, we so very much love and appreciate seeing that rainbow in the cloud. We so very much try to comprehend what a worldwide global flood would have looked like what that would do if it were to occur today, and to think about how much God loves us and how much he he shows that in his willingness to not destroy the world again by water in that way. He made the covenant with Noah, and we're thankful that we can still see the effects of that in a sense today. We already emphasized just a few moments ago, but even this morning, uh, God mentions his covenant with Abraham, Genesis chapter 15, verses 9 through 20. This is a bit more of the covenant. As you read through that, um, God is telling him that he needs to be obedient, that he needs to follow his will. In fact, if you turn there a moment ago, you'll notice at the beginning that this exchange happens because Abraham or Abram says to God, I'm childless, right? We talked about the son of promise this morning, Isaac. Abraham, Abram says, I'm childless. And he mentions even in verse number two, I don't even have an heir. The only heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And so God makes this covenant with him. And he mentions then the idea of cutting these animals, cutting them in half, and then making the covenant with Abram. Verse number 18, he mentions to your descendants, I have given this land. So we talked this morning about the nation promise The uh, land promise and the seed promise. And so Abraham has this covenant with God. What about Israel? If you have your Bible, look over in Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse number 1. Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse number one. Now, if you know your Old Testament, if you realize where we're turning to, you know that we've come you know, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through Joseph into Exodus. Moses leads the people out. They've done the wandering in the wilderness, and they're getting ready to go conquer that land that we put on the screen this morning, the land of Canaan. And Joshua is about to lead them into that. But even through all of that, God is emphasizing time and time again, keep the covenant. Deuteronomy 29 and verse 1, these are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. Where's Horeb? What's Horeb? That'd be Exodus chapter 20, right? Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments are given then. And God, as frustrating as it is, because we understand as parents sometimes, right? You got to say it over and over and over again. You're being disobedient time and time again. Here's the covenant. Let's renew the covenant. And there's such a beautiful picture in Joshua, even as he, Joshua's life ends and his time on this earth is over, leading into the book of Judges, where Joshua gathers the people and there's this reaffirming of the covenant. And so Deuteronomy 29 mentions the covenant that was out Mount, at Mount Sinai and it's confirmed here in Moab. What about David? Second Samuel chapter seven. Again, for time's sake, we're not going to be able to emphasize so many other covenants that are mentioned. But Second Samuel chapter seven, verses fifteen—excuse me, five through sixteen. If you remember, here this is where David says, "I want to build you a house. I'm going to build you a house. Why is it that God is dwelling in this tent?" In this tabernacle, if you remember 2 Samuel chapter 7 opens with David finally receiving rest. He has this rest and he says, see, I've got a house of cedar and God's dwelling in tents. I'm going to build you a house. God says, that's not the plan. I don't care what you want to do. I've got a plan and it's not your job. You're not going to build me a house. But instead in verses, well, down through the end there, about verse 12 uh, through verse 16. But he says, I will build you a house. And guess what that house is? It's the same seed promise that we were talking about this morning. The promise of coming, the coming Messiah. The promise of the church. God says, no, that's not the plan. I preached a lesson recently. I don't remember if it was here or somewhere else. where We talked about this idea. Where we mentioned that Nathan and David get together in the beginning of the chapter. And they say, well, we've decided this is what we want to do. God says, it doesn't matter what you said here's what my plan is. So Nathan, when he hears the voice of the Lord and is told what to do, he has to go tell David, sorry, I know that's your plan, but this is what God is saying. And God makes a covenant with David in which he says that he will build a house and will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And of course, what about Luke chapter 22? Again, we could spend all afternoon looking at many different covenants, but Luke chapter 22, where God makes a covenant with you. He makes a covenant with me as well. makes a covenant with the world where Jesus is going to institute the Lord's Supper. And he mentions, he discusses this idea that this is my blood. Verse number 20, you remember it? We have our men read it sometimes as we partake of the Lord's Supper. But he says, this is my, or this cup is the new covenant, the diothecae. This is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. God made a covenant with you. He made a covenant with me. And we love the Old Testament because we can look back and see how wonderful it is that he keeps his end time and time again. We concluded our lesson this morning by understanding that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob did not see the fulfillment of even some of the promises that were made to them, to Abraham, the nation and the land promise. He didn't see it. He certainly didn't see the Messiah, the seed promise, Isaac and Jacob as well. And we would do well to take a lesson from them and think about how we need to keep looking forward, understanding this covenant made with us. Jesus shed his blood. He did his part. We have to do our part. We have to keep our end of the covenant and how wonderful and amazing it is and how thankful we should be. All right, if you want to turn over to Hebrews chapter 9, I made mention of this just a few moments ago. But perhaps the longest discourse in the New Testament regarding covenant appears in the book of Hebrews. The author, if you turn over there to Hebrews chapter 9, the author of Hebrews uses the word covenant. And again, you may see it as covenant or testament, or maybe even a will, depending on the version you have. He uses the word 21 times, more times than all of the rest of the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15 through 28 is is, though, most important because the author begins by using our word covenant. Notice there, he clearly uses it in this way in chapter 8, where he proclaims that he first he discusses Melchizedek's high priesthood, then that Jesus is the high priest of a better covenant, right? He cites Jeremiah 31. You may see that uh, in your Bible set apart a little bit, maybe not in your script, in your Bible, but he cites Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34, in which Jeremiah predicts the new covenant. And in chapter 9 of Hebrews, in verse number 15, the author tells his readers that it is Jesus. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. And so he discusses that fact that where there is a will, there must be a death. Have you ever considered this? I know you may have heard it before, but how often we have to practice this in our lives, right? Some people talk about, well, I wonder what my inheritance is going to be. I wonder how much money I'm going to be left. Well, that's great that there's a will, and if you've ever had to deal with probate or court, that you know, can be much of a hassle if there's not a will. But the will is no good unless there is the death, right? As the Hebrew writer mentions here, it, there must be the death of the testator in verse number 16. And so he informs his readers not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. Jesus' blood is offered once for all for the sins of many people. And we're thankful for this idea of covenant. Now, when we think about covenant in the Bible, the covenant that God made with Israel is at the heart of the Bible. I know we get confused sometimes because we look and we think, oh, well, that's not the middle or, you know, that's not the New Testament. It's toward the back end. But really, the covenant that God made with Israel is at the heart of the Bible. It came to dominate their relationship. I don't think it's too much to say that the covenant idea, covenant conception came to dominate Israel's thought about her relationship with God. You know, we've been emphasizing on Sunday afternoons, the minor prophets And even the major prophets, their message was, remember the covenant. God is calling you back to faithfulness. Come back and hold up your end. And the God of heaven says he will bless you and he will protect you. This is their mindset when they think about their relationship with God. And so this covenant is at the very heart of the Bible. God promised his care and protection. Think about how much that means. Think about how far that extends. It goes beyond anything that we can do here. I look around the room and I see many of you who are parents and even more in particular, many of you who are fathers. And we sometimes do our best. And when we say it, we mean it with every fiber of our being. I will do all I can to protect you. And yet at some point we fall short. Maybe it's death. Maybe uh, your father died or father dies. Maybe it's some other way in which he's rendered incapacitated. He can't fulfill his role. Whatever it might be, we as husbands and fathers can't always meet that goal. We strive our hardest, but we cannot do what God can do. When he promised his care and protection, that's so much more than what I can say to my children and family, my wife. I may say it and I may mean it and I may try to live it out. But there may come a time where I can't do it. But it's not that way with God. God promised His care and protection, but He also required obedience. He also required obedience. When we understand the similarities and the differences as well between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, understanding those similarities and differences is vital. Between the old and the new, it's vital for a proper understanding of the Bible. Have you ever sat down with someone who hasn't really studied the Old Testament and its application before? Have you ever sat down and studied with someone who looked at you and said, you guys don't believe that, do you? You don't practice that, right? And they don't understand the relationship between the two. That's sad. Because while we've talked about our lesson, our series, Sunday School Catch-Up, and and we've talked about these ideas of trying to remember those stories, it's one thing to know the story of Noah. It's one thing to know the story of Abraham or Joseph or all these uh, men and all these mountain peak moments of the Old Testament. It's another thing to really understand the way that they connect together. And if you want a proper view of the New Testament, no, we don't sacrifice. No, we don't have priests. No, we don't live that same way. But you must understand the context and the relationship between the old covenant and the new covenant that is under Jesus. When we think about that, we begin to truly understand. In a covenant, negotiation has no place, right? In in a covenant, remember we used a few moments ago the idea of a sovereign, a leader who tells the people this is the way it's going to be. A covenant has no place for negotiation. The greater in grace offers his help. In our instance here, a sovereign says, I am in control and I will help you. In our relationship with God, God is the greater in grace and he offers his help. The initiative is his. In fact, gift, the idea of gift is descriptive of covenant as negotiation is descriptive of contract. Think about those differences for just a moment. Covenant versus contract. When you have a contract, you negotiate. Anybody ever set up a contract before? Maybe you offer services. Maybe you talk about a price and you negotiate a little bit. With covenant, it's a little different. There's a gift. When we think about God's covenant with mankind, it's different. Now, both covenant and contract have obligations, but with this difference. The condition that is set out in a contract requires fulfillment of terms. And the obligation of a covenant is one of loyalty. It's not just contractually based. It's not just kind of cold. It's about loyalty. A contract can always be done by just ticking off boxes, right? I've done my part, check, check, check. A covenant that deals with loyalty is so much more. A contract can be broken. A covenant can be broken as well. But of all the differences between covenant and contract... The place in the covenant of loyalty, personal loyalty is striking. We make a covenant. God has made a covenant with us. He's promised to be our God if we will be His people, and we will be obedient to Him. but it's not just about checking the box. It's not just about fulfilling this contract. I've showed up three times this week, God. I've simply I, I gave my money, God, a contract, but it's about loyalty to Him. Let me ask you a question. As we begin to sort of conclude our thoughts here, we ask the question very often, what is the root problem of the the issues in our country today, right? We, We ask this question sometimes. We say, why do we have all the issues we have? Not only in our country, but in the world. Some people say, well, you know what? It's fathers, right? It's fatherless homes or it's fathers who aren't doing the right thing. And I think there's some truth to that, right? We have men who won't step up and be men and be leaders and be fathers as they should. Some people say it's the changing of a family or of the family, right? Remember how our families used to be large families. It's not that you have to have so many kids, but grandparents were involved. Families were tighter knit. They very often lived together. And Once again, nothing wrong with that, but it's just the way that family worked. The changing dynamics in family means sometimes that our world has changed. I think that's true. What about selfishness? I was reading again about social media just the last couple of days. About how much our phones and social media puts ourselves at the center. And what we do and what we look like. And how we act and what others are doing. And how we can draw attention to ourselves. Maybe that's part of the problem. We become a lot more selfish. Maybe that's true. But can I suggest to you that it struck me through this brief study. That maybe part of our problem is the keeping of covenants keeping our promises, and even keeping our contracts. The fact that so many today will try to set a contract or a covenant. I know we've kind of drawn a difference in those things and, and we break it. I know that things happen. Look, I know bankruptcy is a thing and sometimes there's problems and issues and people can't fulfill what they said they would do. But how often in our world do we break contracts? You want to talk about divorce? And again, I know, sometimes there's issues beyond one person. Maybe it's the spouse, whatever it might be. But two people make a covenant, and they break the covenant. Maybe part of our problem, it's not the only problem, but part of our problem is we struggle with keeping our covenants, keeping our promises, fulfilling our contracts, because it's just not a big deal anymore. People say something, and they'll do something else. They'll try to make a promise, but they don't really mean it. They'll just break it. And whether it's our marriages, our homes, whether it's our finances, whatever it might be. Maybe, just maybe, one of our problems has come along because we are not doing what we should in regards to covenant. Thankfully, we serve a God who doesn't act how we act. He doesn't act that same way. And we're thankful for that. We're about to sing a song in just a moment, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. You know what I think is amazing?